9 o'clock. Appreciate you joining us, Jim and the Buckeye Boy from the Bozart Miller Chevrolet Buick Studios, the most trusted name in automobiles. Which quarterback has the most pressure on him this weekend in the playoffs? Looking for opinions, Pyle. Got one earlier from James from Cutterbutter Craft Coffee and Beer over by Colorado Mesa. But the rest of you, what you don't, you do not have an opinion on this? Because the Broncos are done, you don't care? You're not going to gonna watch any of the games this weekend? Come on, man. Come on. We think it's Lamar Jackson. Who do you think it is? So you can send us a text today. 970-242-1340. Uh, also, we're going to give it one last shot here. And I, and I pile, I get it. I understand it's short notice to go to Boulder, but it's four tickets to see the Colorado women's basketball team, third ranked for Coach J.R. Payne against fifth ranked UCLA. And this, this is the number three team in the nation coming off what was a, an incredible run last year in the NCAA tournament. So if you want the tickets, courtesy of Glenn Gallegos, who is a CU regent that lives here locally, then send us a text. Go Buffs. And you'll get those four tickets. Tip-off is it's 6 o'clock tomorrow night, so do keep that in mind. And that is... It makes it a little more of a challenge. But certainly... I mean, to, to watch the number three team in the nation in women's basketball, I'm sure you can find a way to make it happen. If you can, send us a text right now to get those tickets. It's four tickets for tomorrow night's game. It's top five matchup with Colorado and UCLA women scoring off over at the CU Event Center. Uh, what, what did Mark say for the for the men and the women? The attendance number was... 20,000 combined last week? Incredible. Last time out? Yeah, Incredible. All right, so if you can go to the game tomorrow night, there's four tickets. Text right now on the team line, 970-242-1340. Coming up, we'll have a four-down territory. We'll have this day in sports history. We'll also talk with uh, one of those uh, folks who will be inducted into the uh, Fruit of Monument Wildcat Hall of Fame, Clarence Ross, who uh, was an outstanding wrestler and football player for the Wildcats back in the 1960s. So we'll talk with him. Uh, also coached out of Palisade with Joe Romano, was Colorado Mesa's athletic director when it was Mesa State, and still helps out his nephew Cam out at uh, Fruita Monument. So uh, anyway, Clarence Ross will be joining us at around 9.40 this morning. All right, yesterday we had Connor McGahee on, talk about the Avalanche uh, coming off uh, the win at Ottawa the other night. They have Boston tonight, and thought we'd bring back our conversation with the radio voice of the Avs, Connor McGahee. Talking Avalanche hockey with the voice of the Avs, Connor McGahee, on the team. And with us right now on the team line, Connor McGahee. Good morning, Connor. How are you? Doing fine. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. Last night, the, the Avalanche, uh, four unanswered goals. They trailed 4-3 to three going to the third. They get the win at Ottawa last night. Uh, Miko ran in a pair of goals. But uh, Sam Alinsky continues to, to, to pay off handsomely for the Avalanche. A power play goal. Uh, that gave Colorado the lead. And so uh, uh, last night, Miles Wood had the, the, the goal that tied the game up. So for the Avalanche, a big third period 
On and I were Jared Bednar said, look, our, our big guys, at the exception of Randon, were kind of tired back-to-back nights and kind of expected that uh, from the Avalanche and a, and a great way to, to power through at the win last night. Yeah, and, and Bednar said it. He goes, it's my fault because I played everybody almost a half hour the night before in Montreal. And so even with some of the most finely tuned athletes on the planet, um, it is hard to replicate that on, on back-to-back nights in those kind of minutes. Um, I, I got in the sweet spot for the McKinnons and Ranton, probably 24 to 25 minutes. And uh, just with, with how many forwards we've been down, that has been the case when we went hockey games. So last night there really wasn't a choice, but for uh, everybody else to step up, and they did. I mean, you mentioned Sam Malinsky, who really scored twice, and one of them getting called back on the Jonathan drew an offside, um, but Jason Poland gets his first career NHL goal. Miles Wood uh, coming back from illness looked like he was shot out of a cannon last night. Um, he ties the game up in the third period, and for the second time in three nights, in, in, in three games and four nights in a row, the Avalanche uh, score five unanswered goals to win a hockey game, which which is super impressive. And they, they did it in different ways and with different guys. I mean, Congriano ties it up. Uh, in Toronto um, to open up the road trip, and that set the table for an Nathan McKinnon game winner. Um, Malinsky gets his first career game-winning goal uh, last night uh, in in that goal fest, which we thought it might be. And uh, and I really like the fact that you had basically lines two, three, four, defensive pairings, you know, two and three contributing in a big way. And, and the goaltender as well, Eustace Anaman, getting the call up, getting the start. Georgiev completely gets the night off. And probably one goal that he didn't like, but I, th- I think other than that, Anaman was was outstanding. And um, and the Avalanche, uh, for the sixth straight game, put five or more on the out of the Senators. So um, uh, a good night in the end. Habs Radio Voice, Connor McGahee with us. Had the call last night. The Avalanche uh, winning at Ottawa 7-4. to Eustace Anand, and as you mentioned, he made his first start of the season. He, he had 36 saves last night uh, for the 23-year-old Finn. And uh, I know Jared Bednar had uh, had quite a bit of praise for him after the game. I, I guess for the Avalanche, still trying to find that that guy behind Alexander Georgiev to, to give him breaks like that. Probably too soon to say Anand would be in that conversation. Give us your, your takeaway on, on, on Eustace Anand and what that might mean for the Avalanche moving forward. Oh, it, it's it's a good question because I don't know if that's internally, externally, as you know, we get towards the March, I believe, fifth trade deadline. Um, I mean, obviously, the 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 talking point amongst national writers and, and reporters is that is that the Avalanche do need a one B because of the minutes and games and, and starts that Georgiev has. And and, and my counter to that is always well, Georgiev wants. I mean, it, it's like it, it's like you, Patrick Wall wanted the net, and for me, I like a goalie that wants the net that wants to be in there. Um, but again, there can be a fatigue factor. I think we saw that a little bit in Montreal for Alexander Georgiev, just not as sharp uh, as he has been lately. And 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 obviously, obviously, he's the third star of the week in the National Hockey League, and so. Um, but again, you do need that, the 1B situation. Again, the Colorado had in 21-22 uh, with Pavel Francis after Darcy Kemper gets hurt in the playoffs. 
Santos comes in and goes undefeated and wins six games, and the Avalanche don't win a Stanley Cup without Pavel Francouz. Um, so I don't know if that answer is uh, outside of the organization. It very well may be, as there will be uh, more teams willing to part with goaltenders as we get uh, closer and closer to the beginning of March. So, But for the moment, I think that uh, you're just in in repair mode because you know you're going to be in the playoffs. You know um, that you're going to be competing for the division and you're just doing things that keep you cap compliant and and uh, and wait for the opportune moment to, if, if, if that arises to, to make a move of some kind. So uh, it's always good to have options and right now Eustace Oninen is one of those options for the ads. Habs Radio Voice, Connor McGahee with us today on the Team Sports Network. And uh, one of the other, th- this big story of the week, uh, Ford Valari Nachushkin entering the NHL, NHLPA assistance program. Sammy Gerard did that previously to deal with some personal issues. He's been, uh, Nachushkin, uh, Connor, has been one of the, the hottest goal scorers in the league. Certainly has uh, been right there with Nathan McKinnon in terms of uh, scoring goals for the Avalanche. I think uh, Jared Bednar was asked, how do you replace that production? And, and he said, you just don't. Uh, I guess this, I mean, that's as hot as Nachushkin's been. Uh, and, and hopefully, you know, the, the issues that he has to deal with, uh, we'll, he'll be able to address those as he goes through the assistance program. But uh, that's a big loss for the Avalanche right now. Yeah, it is. And uh, what I do like, though, is that everybody <clears throat> is, and this is team, this is staff, this is people, everybody is, of the mindset that you get the the human being part right first. Sure. And then ho- hockey comes second. And I think we all forget that in our business way too much, yours truly included, is that um, while hockey is our life, it is not life. And Val Matushkin, you know, has a wife at home. He's got a brand-new daughter. And, and getting right for them is, is frankly, the, the priority. And then... And then secondarily, once that's fixed, he can come back on the ice and be one of the best power forwards in the National Hockey League. So, I, again, kind of like we were talking about with the goaltending situation, you just have to make a patchwork. And, and I always think that when you have a big guy out, doesn't matter who it is. doesn't matter if it's Kale McCarr. doesn't matter if it's Gabe Landeskog, Valman Chushkin. Good teams find a way to have everybody else step up and they, and again last night is a is a good example of that and and that's what colorado as andrew cogliano told us post game the other night they said tonight we showed uh what we were about we're about winning and i think they're you know find a way was the theme in the cup year and that has never really gone away from from the squad they find a way to win hockey games win divisions and, and fill in holes uh, but they also find a way to be friends and, and teammates and keep that a family. And that, that's what uh, I like most about this Avalanche team, I think. <clears throat> right. So the, the Avalanche at Boston tomorrow, of course, a rematch of that uh, that great uh, game that they had uh, previously at Denver. So one final thing before I let you go, Connor. Uh, what's the what's the feeling about Mosier after he left his passport? <laughs> uh, because I, I imagine there I, – I, I imagine there were some Avalanche players that uh, want to give Moshe a little bit of grief. Say, we're sitting here on the tarmac waiting because you forgot your passport. Do you not realize we're going to a foreign country where you're going to need that? I imagine he caught some grief from some people. 
here's the thing. Fortunately, the plane was not late. Like, it was, we, we, we pulled away on time. Oh, that's and good. So, which is good. Now, Bed and I said this morning, giving given, uh, Moj a little bit of grief, and said, you know, like, Moj is part of the team, and I would have liked to have thought that we would have waited if, you know, because if, if Nathan McKinnon forgets his passport, you know, you're not going to leave him behind. And he, so he said, I think we'd wait for Moj. That doesn't free you up from uh, from getting grief. But Mosher said in 27 years of working in and around the National Hockey League, he never forgot his passport. <laughs> and, this, uh, and this was the first time. But my, my I just laughed at it. Riker jumped at the opportunity right away. He goes, I got I got a text Vic. I got a text Vic Lombardi on the morning show <laughs> that Moj forgot. And honestly, it was, they just had an absolute blast with it. Bednar said, I was two seconds away from calling it from the plane to the morning show while this is all going on. It was one of my fav- favorite segments of radio I've ever heard. <laughs> ever. And then... Brett voiced the tease that actually made it onto the pregame show the other night. Oh my goodness, we are—we just—we are a bunch of idiots, but we have so much fun doing it. And uh, Moj, I will give him credit; he wore it. He wore it, and uh, and he'll, he's just going to have to wear it till till uh, till everyone forgets about it. But uh, but it was. I don't. I, I was just laughing like a hyena the whole time. You'd have to be. You'd have to be laughing about that. And I'm going to pile yeah. on here because I, I probably told you the story about the time Moj came over here, uh, brought brought his like, daughter over here. Um, yeah, but uh, to I think his dinosaur journey or the, the dinosaur museum we have. He left his credit card at the hotel, and he calls me up. He's like, Jimmy, it's Moj. Can you go out to the ho- Can you go out to the hotel and FedEx me my credit card? Oh my goodness. So I had to go to the hotel and get Mark's credit card <laughs> and take it to a take it to a FedEx box and send him his credit card because he forgot it. Oh my goodness. I I'm so glad you told me this. This is this is going to be brought up with your permission. Oh, absolutely. You have Please to do this. feel okay. You have my complete permission to you bring must. that up. You now. must be you know what? I don't you don't have my permission. I insist that you bring it up. I will. Oh my! This 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 will make it. This is going to make it into into the group uh, in the next okay. twenty four hours, and okay. I can't wait to be like, wait a second, this is this is not an isolated incident. <laughs> no, no. I mean, he, he was over here for pleasure to, to bring his daughter over here, but but still, he forgot his credit card. Oh, that is great, fantastic. Yeah. And then you bailed him out. I was glad to do it. Yeah, I know. Glad to help him out, man. I mean, we didn't hold the plane or anything. But. No, yeah, we didn't. Yeah, just, <laughs> I just had to go out to Horizon Drive and go to a FedEx box. It wasn't, it wasn't that wasn't. Oh, big, you know. that's so good. Hey, Connor, so good. and have a great call tomorrow night. I always appreciate catching up with you, buddy. Will do, fellas. Thank you. All right, take care. There's uh, Connor McGahee. Who's going to- All right, so uh, Connor McGahee joined us on the program yesterday. He'll have the call tonight. Avs at the Boston Bruins pregame at 430. Right here on the Team Sports Network. Early one. Early in the day. After 5 o'clock, yeah. Yeah. All right. So I mean, it's uh, still 7 o'clock there, but. But early for us here. It's early for us. Which is good. Which yeah. is a good thing. Which is a very good thing. All right. I I saw this uh, with uh, Roger Goodell, Defender of the Shield, mm-hmm. NFL Commissioner. That, um, you know, he's out on divisional. We're getting ready for divisional weekend. And made a stop in Detroit. Okay. So, 
he was there to promote the NFL draft, which will be in Detroit, by the way. Oh, yeah. April 25th. Also, the Lions are into the division around this weekend. And so he decided to take a moment to talk about the officiating in the NFL. Goodell did. Okay. Which is interesting that it involves, he's in Detroit talking about the officiating. Remember what happened when the the Cowboys Mm -hmm. game, the controversy with the eligible receiver situation with Taylor Decker. So an interesting place and team to be around to to bring this up. Yeah, and Roger and that office never do anything on accident. That was done on purpose. Goodell. That was not a coincidence is what I'm saying. So apparently it was moderated by Mike Tirico from NBC. A little Q&A with Goodell. And this is through uh, the Detroit News via The Athletic. Tirico brought up the officiating topic in a roundabout way, saying analysts aren't perfect, coaches aren't perfect, our quarterbacks aren't perfect, they throw in completions, running backs miss the hole, but we asked officials to be perfect. And then Goodell followed up saying they're making decisions out there in a matter of seconds. Goodell did not bring up the Week 17 controversy with Taylor Decker. No. Which negated the two-point conversion that would have given the Lions the win over the Cowboys. Well, at least now the Lions don't have to worry about going to Dallas because of that play. <laughs> that, that is, that's true. And so Goodell did allude to offsides penalties. And you know there are two teams out there, so is he offsides or not offsides? That's just part of their job. They're the hardest working people I see. They take great pride in it. They're individuals who work to try to make sure they're contributing to the game, but we have technology to try to do that too. I'm very proud of what they do. Okay. And that's referring to Tony in Kansas mm-hmm. City, the, the offside penalty. Um, okay, there's, it's fine to support the officials. To be an official is a thankless job, regardless of the level. It's a tough job. It's, it's, it's not easy. He's right. You have to make decisions in, split, in, a, in a split second. There's, there's, he's totally right about that. But the Taylor Decker thing was not necessarily a split-second decision. It was, he said he reported as an eligible receiver until they said that they didn't hear him report as an eligible receiver. Mm -hmm. That's not a split-second decision. Either he did or he didn't. Decker said he did. Teammates said he did. Were they all going to lie about that? I I, I guess maybe they're biased. But I find it hard to believe they would lie about that. I think it was told to official, official just blew it, just forgot. And that's the thing, right, is this is, in my memory and for me, very rarely are my officiating complaints about the bang, bang, microsecond, 30-yard-away variety. Very rare. It is more so the... Damn, this rule is really wordy, and it's open to interpretation. How is it not? It's the consistency. It's not the, oh, bang, bang, you know, pass interference, roughing the quarterback. It is, why is it 
roughing for that guy, but not roughing for that guy. Absolutely. I mean, it's, can, a lack of, it's a lack of consistency. How can Josh Allen get hit while he's sliding when the defender committed before the slide and get roughing the passer, yet Joe Flacco can get blasted when the defender had not committed before the slide and it's no penalty. They're still tall, slow, white guys. So, like, there's not really a lot of difference there. That's my issue with the officiating. Or why is this play a holding and this play is not when they look, to me, exactly the same? The the grazing of the helmet with a hand. Mm-hmm. The bear, bear, not grabbing a face mask, right. but my hands are up, pass rusher, trying to deny the passing lane. Yeah. My, my hand comes down and I graze your face mask. Mm-hmm. Don't grab it, don't tug it, don't pull it. My fingers just touch your face right. mask. And we're gonna and we're gonna throw a flag on that. Or we don't throw a flag on that. That's the thing that drives me up. If that if if any touching of the face mask constitutes a a personal foul penalty, mm-hmm. then no okay, I'm not crazy about that. I think there needs to be right. levels of of severity there. But it's disingenuous for Roger Goodell to to say and to like accuse fans and players and analysts of, wow, we want these guys to be perfect on each and every play. Well, first, let's let's get to that one real quick. When there's billions of dollars through sports gambling, legalized betting that you're now in bed with DraftKings, ESPN bet, who you also want to get an ownership stake in ESPN. So you're going to own the at, you know, when there's all that, then yes. It needs to be as close to perfect as humanly possible. And that argument is also disingenuous when a lot of the issues are not the, there's no way they're going to get that right every single time. Yeah, we accept that. And most fans are like, yeah, all right. You know what? That's that's a rough call. That's a bad break. It's the, when you have res- officials in the end zone, one signals incomplete, one signals complete. Like, which one is it? And they're standing right next to each other. Or it is, you know, this guy never calls the offensives offsides, and here he does in this huge play. It's the reason they're playing in Buffalo this weekend instead of in Kansas City. That's the stuff that fans are driven nuts by. Are It's, it, it's in baseball, too. It's in basketball, too. Why are some fouls not always fouls? Why are some penalties not always penalties? Why is your strike zone smaller than mine? And, and I'm fine if there's... A catch, no catch, not sure, and you converge as officials and you discuss mm-hmm. it because somebody's probably going to have a better angle. Yeah, I'm fine with that, and you ultimately you become the, the right conclusion. Here's the thing: a couple of things. Number one, I'm going to go back to Mike Tarico. Gee, Mike, can you set it up any more softballish than? Well, other players don't always make the right play. Quarterbacks aren't perfect. Analysts aren't perfect. Coaches make bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Isn't he setting it up there to, well, we, should we expect the officials to be really good too? I, I, I just, to me, the, the way he set that up for Goodell is so softball. Yeah, it's just, I, it is. And I will soften that a little bit with, I imagine Mike Tirico wants to be able to interview the commissioner yes. again. And when's the last time Roger Goodell faced anything over 60 miles an hour? And, and that's the disappointing thing about this, that it's it's always very well. I mean, and I mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you on what you say about Tariko. I don't know if you or I would be any different. 
if we were told, hey, try to bring up officiating without making it sound like the officiating's bad. If we know from our boss's boss's boss that if we go too hard on Roger Goodell, our outlet will never be able to talk to him again. And that's a problem. That's an issue. But that's an NFL issue. And that's management above Mike Tirico's pay grade. Mike was told, hey, you're interviewing the commissioner. And he, he knows the score. He knows that you can ask him questions, but you can't really press him on his answers because he's just going to Mike Tomlin it and then you're never going to see from him again. There's a reason he doesn't go on like Dan Patrick's show. He goes where he goes. It's friendly. He doesn't wade into enemy fire. No, he goes, he goes to where it's friendly, mm-hmm. it's comfortable. He knows he's not going to be asked difficult things. He likes that. Yeah. And, and Tariko's in a bad spot because Tariko... Mm-hmm. But still, I'm. It's a softball's a softball, regardless yeah, whether it is. I mean, it's like that, that's going to be that's how you're setting the the premise that well, and, and officials aren't perfect either. Mm-hmm. Well, no, they're not. They're human beings, and we we get that. But also, Tariko's kind of started to fade away from his hardcore journalist too, with yeah. the way he does the football games now. You know, to uh, chill a little bit. Yeah, he's a little bit of a salesman. And so, let's get back to Goodell though for just a moment before yeah. we take a break where he talks about we have the technology to try to do that too to make the officiating better are you really utilizing that technology though to to its highest capability i once again this is something i brought up before we've talked about this no they don't there needs to be transparency there needs to be sky judge i'm gonna keep banging on my desk on my countertop here and because that's what needs to happen. That would be nice in the case of those that are making wagers, where there is transparency, where this is why we're hearing what the officials are talking about with Sky Judge at the stadium, where they're discussing it, of why they're making this call. Mm-hmm. We don't get that transparency. We see ref goes on, ref goes and looks at the tablet, ref comes back out, tells us what happened or tells Confirmed, us what the decision upheld, is overturned whatever. whatever was sky judge you heard the whole conversation all of it mm-hmm. every party involved and you felt like yeah they're getting this right i get it, it's minor league football but they're getting it right and it wasn't it wasn't a long process it it was it was expedient you know where the best or the NFL is the best intersection of Vegas's automated dealers, the big use of the Jumbotron, robo-umps, and Sky Judge. You know, you just have to take a look at it, input into your AI, and then have the fake automated official like the dealer in Vegas, right? Like, oh, here, 12, 14, 15, 16, 21, you lose. You know those girls and guys? You have this on the on the jumbotron. You're like, that's a holding on number 71, 10-yard penalty. And then you just have somebody out there to place the ball and run the timer. The uh, the penalties are called by robo up. Don't do it in baseball. <laughs> Football's where you need it. Or in this case, just have better use of the camera angles. The the human interaction. I still want that. I I still do. I don't know. Human interaction is overrated. <laughs> Coming from you, that's not a surprise. I still want human officials working the game. But the technology, the ability, 
the, the, the speed at which they could make calls and the transparency are all there for them. Mm-hmm. And Goodell to say that we have the technology to try to do that. Well, you don't use it to its full capability, Raj. Right. You don't. Or use the war room. Just stick somebody no. in front of a webcam and a microphone like they're, you right. know, Mike Florio and be like, well, upon further review, blah, 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 blah. Put it on the Jumbotron. Zoom's a thing now. Use Facebook Messenger video chat yeah. if you have to. I mean, you could do that. I, I still like the idea of somebody that's part of the crew in the booth upstairs as Sky Judge. But I'm, I'm okay with the war room thing, too. But, mm-hmm. but there needs to be transparency during a broadcast of this is what's going on, and this is why we made the call. This is why we overturned it. This is why we upheld it. Also should mention, too, Taylor Decker. Remember in the wild card game with the Rams where he got nailed for a false start mm-hmm. rather than Ernest Jones looked like he was a neutral zone infraction? So, See, then uh, you're going to have Roger Goodell come out in a couple weeks, you know, a softball from Tony Romo or whatever. Be like, well, this guy has a propensity for breaking the rules. <laughs> and so, so we're, we're keeping an right. eye on him. And Roger Goodell is the king of, I know exactly who to blame. I'm going to take full responsibility. It's your fault. All right, 929. We'll take a break. We'll come back. Four down territory this day in sports history coming up. Also, he'll go into the Wildcat Hall of Fame on February 2nd. Uh, Clarence Ross will join us in a few minutes on The Jim Davis Show. First of all, it's hilarious. Warp twisted individuals. Yes. The Jim Davis Show on Colorado's sports leader, the team. Welcome back, 932. Jim the Buckeye Boy from the Bozarth Miller Chevrolet Buick Studios. The most trusted name in automobiles. All right, time for four down territory. We're into four down territory on the Jim Davis Show on the team. All right, start things out with first down. A very prominent figure in the career of Nikola Jokic passing away. Warriors, Golden State Warriors assistant coach Dejan Milojevic dying at the age of 46. Uh, He was at a private team dinner with the Warriors in Salt Lake City had a heart attack and they could not save him. He's been given a lot of credit for identifying and developing the skill set of one Nikola Jokic. And for Milojevic, a tremendous uh, European power forward in the early 2000s before he uh, focused on his coaching career. But uh, close close relationship with uh, Nikola Jokic early on in his career, but uh, tragically passing away at the age of 46. Also, that um, looks like three teams are going to be the targets for Hard Knocks. One of them is going to be forced to do it. Yeah. The Bears. Uh-huh. The Saints. Okay. And the and, Denver Broncos. And the Denver Broncos. Thanks for blowing my last Sorry. one there. That's okay. Bears Usually Broncos. that's a joke on my part, but it's true. Bears, Broncos, Saints... According to Pro Football Talk. Is this Drew Brees' wish list? What's yeah, going on here? The, the, uh, the NFL could force one of them to be on hard knocks. You know who I'm forcing to be on hard knocks? <laughs> Sean Payton. Sean Payton and the oh, carousel quarterback of I Hate My Coach. 
is Russell Wilson going to be happy? Is he going to be okay? Yeah. Are they going to keep him? Is he gonna... exactly Russ and Sierra's home life, which was is probably exactly like Jason and Kylie Kelsey's. <laughs> exactly, exactly like it. So anyway, those are the three that one of them cool will, will end up probably being mm-hmm. the to, the focus of Hard Knocks coming up. Probably, hopefully, it'd probably be the Denver Broncos. Uh, third down. We've all had projectiles or stick and ball sports, you know, focus of possession come flying at us, whether it be basketball, which I had one uh, Tuesday night, or baseballs at the time. I've never done hockey, but I believe I would be able to handle it a little better than Mark Moffitt did, who calls this play. The rush. Holds it back there, and now Murphy. Murphy throws the pass across. <laughs> and that puck's going to go out of play here, and uh, that's going to do it for that sequence right there. 9.25 left. I apologize if I just uh, uh, just damaged your eardrums there. Just It went right over the mesh, right over my head, so uh, I just I apologize for that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, first of all. Sorry. Second of all, it's a little bit of an overreaction, I Jeez, think. dude. I mean, um, I know the puck's dangerous, and getting hit in the head with one has killed people, but... Man alive. Yeah, I, I know you get, you, you, it's, you know, you don't want to get hit by a yeah. fast-moving, very solid object, a frozen mm. object, but geez. He would. Absolutely. It's where the Jason or Freddy just showed up. Yeah. Just different kind of hockey mask. It's absolutely just absolutely bonkers. It was, uh, yeah, it seemed like, a, I agree, a bit of an overreaction. Bit of an overreaction. Uh, fourth down, the Intuit Dome is going to open next year for the Clippers. They're finally not going to have to share. And they've got the wall. You want me on that wall, you need me on that wall. 51 uninterrupted rows of passionate Clippers fans. There's a couple of uh, rules you have to follow to be in part of the wall. 4,500 fans in total. Uh, those seated there will not be permitted to cheer for or wear gear for opposing teams while in the section. Uh, the team's website says this section is for Clippers fans only. If you choose to be part of the wall, you and your guests can't cheer for the opposing team or wear any gear that supports our, supports our opponents. Any fans who break the wall code will lose access to the section, according to the Clippers website, and only certified Clippers fans can purchase tickets to the wall. And if you do have a ticket in that section, only certified Clippers fans can buy them from you. You can only resell the wall tickets on the Clippers Ticketmaster Marketplace. And uh, owner Steve Ballmer is saying that fans in the building will be offered discounts to the team shop based on how fervently they cheer on the Clippers. Not sure how to feel about this just yet. Um, Having uh, the sections where you can't resell to the opposing team, I'm okay with that. Specific sections, I'm okay with that. The entire stadium, I would start to have a problem with that. Yeah, I'm okay with the section. Yeah, I'm, I'm all right with that. Where I, I want to mm-hmm. sit with fellow fans. I don't want to sit with opposing fans. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. And if you violate the rules of that, you don't get to sit there. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, as long as there are plenty of good seats of equal quality available to other fans. I do like the fact where you're going to have, you know, 
some boisterousness behind the the backboard. I, that's one thing I miss about old school NBA and college games. You know, like the whacking, waving f- tubes and big fat head posters and signs and stuff like that. Try to distract free throw shooters. I miss that. Bring that back. I'm all for that. One thing about uh, Intuit and Steve Ballmer. Mm-hmm. Did you see his thing about the toilets? He's talking about the toilets. <laughs> no. Toilets. 1,160 toilets and urinals. Three times the NBA average. We do not want people waiting around. We want them to get back to their damn seats. With plenty of available seats elsewhere. But, I, but, like. but I did I did see the clip of this. Uh-huh. He was very, very pumped about the toilets. Yeah, he's super geeked about the building. I would be, too, if I spent $2 billion on it. Almost like they just got Nikola Jokic or something. Oh, that's right. You can't have him. You can't have him. Not till he's a free agent. Yeah. Then good luck anyway, because... Then good luck. You're still paying for <laughs> Kawhi Leonard and Paul George to not play for you. All right, 9.39, it's time for... That's the story of the greatest sport moment of all of history. It's time to take a trip back in time. It's this day in sports history. All right, 1938, Grover Cleveland Alexander's elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame as 90 shutouts, the second on the career list to Walter Johnson, and his 16 shutouts in 1916 is still the Major League record. Do you, Buckeye, remember who played him in the movie? No. Ronald Reagan. Oh. Well, I was looking to throw the curve there. Poor guy, pinnacle of his career. The winning team was the name. Oh, the movie we played, uh, Grover Cleveland Alexander. Uh, let's see, 1958, Canadian-born Willie O'Ree becomes the NHL's first black player for the Boston Bruins. 1972, the Lakers' Jerry West hits a last-second 20-foot jumper to lead the West to a 112-110 All-Star Game victory of the East as he wins the MVP. Also, 1973, Orlando Cepeda becomes the first player signed specifically to be a DH. He signs for the Boston Red Sox one week after the DH Hitter rule is approved. Also on this day, 1976, Pittsburgh Steelers win the Super Bowl for the second straight year. Terry Bradshaw, 64-yard touchdown pass to Lynn Swan. Uh, me, Lynn Swan and Glenn Edwards' interception on the last play of the game gives the Steelers a 21-17 win over the Cowboys. Swan with four catches, 161 yards, is the game's MVP. And that's the day in sports history. Coming up next, we'll go into the Wildcat Hall of Fame on February 2nd. Former Fruit of High School standout Clarence Ross joins us next on the Jim Davis Show. I'm the morning guy. I have a Facebook group, 16 members. Some call it a fan page. I don't know. Oh, hell yeah. The Jim Davis Show on Colorado's sports leader, the team. Talking through the monument Wildcat sports on the Jim Davis Show. And joining us right now on the team line, he'll go into the Wildcat Hall of Fame on February 2nd when Fruita Monument takes on Central. Joining us right now, Clarence Ross. Clarence, good morning. Congratulations on uh, your forthcoming induction into the Wildcat Hall of Fame. Good morning, Jim. Thank you very much. Very honored. Well, long overdue. Long overdue, Clarence. And, of course, uh, going back through your career, it was an incredible one at, at, at then Fruita High School where you were uh, the, the 68 undefeated state wrestling champion at 138. Uh, you're the, the state of Colorado outstanding wrestler that year. You're an all-conference guard linebacker in, in 68. 
Uh, you remember the 66 uh, state championship football team at, at Fruita High School. You were even the senior class president. You, were, you did a little bit of everything and, and accomplished an awful lot to, during uh, that period of time. You're also a member of the Cultural Exchange Wrestling Program that went to Japan, and you were, you were undefeated uh, uh, when you went and competed uh, overseas. So uh, a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of incredible accomplishments, Clarence, on your resume as a Wildcat. Well, I was very lucky. I had a lot of people that helped me out a lot, a lot of coaches that gave me great advice and just had a lot of fun doing it. I would think that uh, the late Bill Knox and your football coach probably had a had a very strong influence on, on your career, Clarence. Yeah, Coach Knoxon and Coach Pollock and Coach Bishop were all three great people that helped me out a lot all the way through high school and even after high school and everything. So I owed them a lot. You mentioned those three with uh, with Bill Knox and Jack Pollock and, and Lowry Bishop. What did each one of them tell you? What did they What did they do to help a young Clarence Ross? Each guy, obviously, different personalities, uh, incredible coaches, and incredible men, but but men of different uh, different personalities and different uh, views of life. What did each one maybe tell you that that still resonates with you to this day? Coach Knoxon was very very uh, influential in doing the very best you could uh, every play every practice every minute every second that you did anything be very very good at it and uh, do the very best you can and that's one thing that always uh, resonated with me with him he just taught you to do everything as best you possibly could every time you could and um, coach bishop was just an outstanding character he, he taught us all a lot of, about being he and his wife about having great character and integrity and honesty. Um, those, those are things that he just ingrained in, you know, in his way of teaching, his way of communicating with you. And then uh, Coach Pollock was one of those that you just wanted to run through a wall for. He taught me in wrestling, you didn't have to do a lot of things. You just had to do a few things very, very well and uh, take what you do and perfect it so nobody can stop it so those are the things i think i would attribute to each one of those coaches we're talking with clarence ross who'll go into the wildcat hall of fame on february 2nd uh when uh, fruit of monument plays host to central uh on that friday night and you know i mentioned the the incredible wrestling career undefeated state wrestling champion uh went to japan on the exchange wrestling program you're a scholastic high school all-american wrestler as well and and so for you, you mentioned Jack Pollock was your wrestling coach. Was there was there a guy or two, Clarence, that was out there on the mats that was always kind of pushing you, a, t- a teammate back in the day, that that helped provide maybe you know um, when you're when you're going through practice, forcing you to be your best or encouraging you. Were there a couple of guys like that for you when you were a Wildcat? Uh, I had I was very very fortunate. At- good friends that we all were kind of close to the same weight and everything uh, George Lloyd was there uh, my junior year not my senior year but the, and uh, Boyce Baker and those guys just we just wrestled and Coach Pollock just pushed us all and stuff uh, I wrestled with wrestling 138 I'd go down and wrestle with the lighter kids and then a lot of times I'd go up and wrestle with the heavier kids to push yourself and it was it was just we had a good team and it was just a lot of fun to to be around. And then of course you went on to to Northern Colorado, really good wrestling program. You're a, D, a Division II collegiate All American in 1970, placed sixth 
uh, nationally at 134. So you, you went on to have some really good success at the collegiate level. And then let's talk about the football part of it because you were you were a guard and a linebacker. And today you'd probably be a slot receiver. No offense, Clarence. <laughs> you're you're not you're not the you're not when you when if people have not met Clarence, you're not the biggest guy in the world. But it's about the size of the you know the it's not the size of the dog. It's out of the size of the fight in the dog. And you were able to overcome maybe some size limitations to to go out and and be you know an all conference guard and, and linebacker back in in the sixties. Well, I was very fortunate. Like I said, we were on very good teams, so that helps a lot <laughs> and the stuff. And yeah, every practice, you know, Coach Knox and Coach Bishop just made sure that you went full speed every practice, every down, every every drill, and everything. And that helps a lot. You, you develop a technique. You, they work with you. They made sure that you did the right things at the right times. Uh, size was just something I lived with, you know. Right. Uh, Coach Knotson put me at guard. I didn't, you know, that's where I wanted to play. And he put me there in linebacker, and uh, I I had a lot of fun. Blitzed a lot as linebacker, you know. uh, So I I caused havoc with just, you know, that little little extra to give when I went against the bigger guys and stuff. Well, the the quickness and also I imagine with your time on the wrestling mats, leverage, things like that your body control that that was a, a huge asset where size wise you maybe weren't as big as some guys you had those tools that, that, that helped you be a really successful lineman yep it it was interchangeable I, I tell every athlete in high school do as many things as you possibly can they all help you know football helped me in wrestling wrestling helped me in football you, you just uh, interchange them and competition the best thing is to go you know be competitive in everything you do, and all of a sudden, good things happen for you. Well, I think there, there's little doubt you're one of the most uh, competitive guys I know, Clarence. And uh, <laughs> that, I mean, you are you 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 you're an excellent organizer. You work your tail off. You're as one of the you know the hardest working guys that I know. And so, uh, it's no surprise that uh, you were a successful high school athlete at Fruit High School, and and successful, of course, going on to to coach a Palisade with Joe Romano, uh, athletic director at Mesa State. You were also coach. Uh, over uh, for Joe or uh, with Joe at the at, at um, then Mesa State College as well. So uh, that uh, that continued on. But I want to talk about that uh, that '66 state championship team. Still the only state football championship uh, in Fruta High School Fruta Monument history. A uh, lot of tremendous talent on that team. You were one of many. Uh, there were really really uh, outstanding football players. And uh, for Bill Knox and getting that that chance to win that that state championship and. And one of these days, hopefully the Wildcats will, will will garner another one. But certainly, some some great memories if you're a Fruta, a high school football fan. Yes, we we had some good players. Rich Paris. Uh, we watched some films uh, at one of the reunion, and one of my comments was, "Thank God we had Rich Paris on our team. Uh, <laughs> he was, you know, just a great running back, a fullback. You know, uh, you didn't have to open big holes for him to go through. You just had to bother people." And, he ran over them and stuff. We we were just fortunate, you know. We've had uh, Rich and Richard Berg and Mel Cray, or <clears throat> Mel and Barbie, uh, and Boyce Baker and myself. We we all just believed in winning and went out and had fun. 
And your conviction with Fruta continues. I, you help your nephew Cam Ross uh, with the football team, and so you're you're still out there, uh, very much a wildcat here, even in, in 2024. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I have a lot to pay back. A lot of people helped me a lot of different ways and Fruta and everything. And with Cameron there, it's just a great great chance for me to be around football and kind of help guide some people and put some input every now and then about what maybe over the years I've learned. Yeah, absolutely. Well, they benefit from all that knowledge, Clarence. Hey, we appreciate it and I've uh, known you for a very, very long time. I'm so happy uh, that you were uh, selected to the, the Wildcat Hall of Fame. Once again, that's February 2nd out of Fruit of Monument High School when the Wildcats take on Central in the Hardwood. Clarence, I appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very much for calling and it's an honor to be inducted. Take care, Clarence. I'm excited. Thank you. <laughs> Have a great day. Clarence Ross will go into the Hall of Fame with uh, Tom Reed, All-State quarterback. Uh, Lisa Aldred, who was an All-State basketball player and volleyball player. Buddy Merez will be the first. He was the first state champion in, in wrestling in Fruita High School history. Caleb Marquardt won a couple of state uh, tennis titles. Bob Cates, uh, former uh, Fruita Monument uh, head basketball coach. Obviously, Clarence Ross and the 1982 Girls State Championship basketball team will have some of those folks uh, joining us over the next uh, week or so before uh, the lead-up, of course, to, up until uh, February 2nd when all those uh, folks and the 82 Girls State basketball team uh, will go in to the Wildcat Hall of Fame. All right, to 954, Jim along with the Buckeye boy. You can uh, still got a couple of, like about a minute here left to text or call us, 970-242-1340. Uh, let's see, from Scott this morning, congrats to Coach Ross and a well-deserved recognition reflecting his athletic success as well as his dedicated work to many, many students and athletes throughout the Valley. So, Butchie's got this. Did you see this? Yes, I did. Team A, 11-6, one playoff game by 16 against 10-team win. Team B, 11-6, one playoff game by 19 against 11-win team. Team B has a better defense, better coach, better quarterback, better running back, better tight end. WR1 is a statistical wash. They played in the regular season with Team B, missing multiple key starters, and then Team A won by three due to an alignment issue that had no effect on the play. How is Team A the dominant team of destiny and Team B an abject failure? Well, the one thing he forgets is Team A has fans that willingly put themselves through tables. Team B has fans that we as other fans want to put through tables. <laughs> Did either one of us say that Buffalo's a team of destiny? No. I don't believe so. Or that the Chiefs have been an abject failure? At least you texted while we were both awake. <laughs> Which is a good thing. That's helpful. We appreciate that. Words that you're using, Butchie, not words that we use today. 